All right, have a great time, kids. So, uh, yes, VBS Explosion, awesome time. I don't know if you caught that, but we had uh, almost around 90 kids total that were a part of that VBS and Explosion venture. It was just really fantastic to be here during the course of the week and to hear all that commotion, that Jesus commotion, as I like to think about it. Um, So thank you again for everybody that was part of that. Um, One thing I want to make mention of here this morning is following the service here today, um, I'm going to be immediately in the Restless Child room over there, um, and that's going to be a time where I want to invite you, if you're relatively new to North Haven, if we haven't had a chance to really connect yet, I want to invite you to be a part of uh, just having a cup of coffee with me a donut, and uh, we'll just uh, talk a little bit about North Haven and um, you and how we can be supporting and praying for you as well. So taking advantage of that, you just meet me back there in that space. Uh, We'll have a couple people out in the comments directing you if you uh, need a reminder of that. The other thing, too, that I want to mention, and this is just kind of like like a family business type of thing, but it's just a reality. So there are three kind of momentum shifts that happen every year in the life of a church. Uh, one is in September. People, you know, summer's done. People are re-engaging with church again. Another one is actually February. February, March, it's a kind of very similar time where people are re-engaging with church after the, after the holidays. And then there's this other shift that happens at the end of May, early June, And uh, that tends to be not so much a resurgence in attendance, but just kind of, you know, more of a laxed um, uh, approach to church. And that's because we live in Minnesota. And in Minnesota, uh, nine months out of the year, it's horrifying, right? And so we like being able to venture out and explore the lakes and to go on little trips and stuff. And uh, so uh, I get that. My family and I, we have an RV and uh, we try to take weekends where we can go away um, and uh, we not go too far. So like next weekend, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here with you, but we're also going to be having an RV down in Apple Valley. So um, it's just, I get it. Minnesota, we want to get out. The problem is though, is that that can reflect in our, in, in our giving. And, and I just want to ask um, that you would consider, just as a, a, something to uh, think about and maybe uh, take a step towards if you feel led, is, is to um, implement an ACH giving, basically automatic withdrawal to your giving. Uh, that would eliminate really any of those issues, the sporadicness of giving that tends to happen during the summer months. And we just have a lot of things that are happening during the summer all year, really. But we don't take breaks, and so we want to continue to minister not only to our church family, but to our community. We want to share the love of Jesus, and we we want to be able to be a support and resource to do that. So just something for you to consider. If that's something you'd like to do, it's quick and easy. Uh, You can access that form on the website. Or you can um, let us know, and uh, we'll make sure that you get a form that you need to fill out to make that possible. All right. Well, for 22 weeks, we've been going through this book of Acts. Uh, The book of Acts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then we have Acts. Now, Acts is, as we've mentioned, part two of what is a larger story. Part one being Jesus' ministry on earth, his death and his resurrection. And then part two is actually what we're involved in here today. And now, before we venture into our passage um, in Acts chapter 15... What I want to do first is ask if you have ever heard this verse before. 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Raise your hand if you've heard that verse before. Now this is one of those verses that largely gets taken out of context. Because, I mean, if, 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 that was, if that was true in and of itself, then I'm in trouble because I love Oreos. Right? And I would, I would eat Oreos until there was no tomorrow. The problem is, though, is not everything you do is beneficial. And so if I eat one or two or three or four Oreos, that's fantastic. If I eat 100 Oreos, that's problematic, right? The problem with this verse in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10.31 is that many people stop, they stop right there, which can be a problem, right? So we have to be careful when we consider Scripture because a verse left alone is not always what it appears to be at, at first glance. So as I mentioned, for 22 weeks, we've been going through this book of Acts, and we've been looking how the, the church, the early Jesus followers, it just began to seismically shift over time. Jesus started changing lives, primarily Jewish lives, for the sake of the gospel in Jerusalem, and then that message continued to impact other Jews in Judea and Samaria and the following regions, and then it started impacting Gentiles. And Gentiles, basically, for those of you who don't know, are, are people who aren't Jewish. And this was just completely monumental for Jewish Jesus followers because they had understood or thought or assumed that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the salvation now that is provided because of his death and resurrection, was only available to the Jews. But then they started seeing uh, Gentiles receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit after giving their lives to Jesus as well, and they were just blown away. So then in chapter 15, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, there's this interesting thing that happens. Now up in Antioch, we'll talk a little bit more about Antioch, but that was basically just a Gentile area, Roman province, in a Roman province, city in a Roman province. And in this place, right, there were, there were Gentile Christians who were being um, influenced negatively by Jewish Christians. They were coming in and they were basically saying, hey, listen, you actually aren't saved. You Gentile Christians, you're not saved unless you become circumcised. And this became a big deal. It was a big dispute in that, in that particular church in Antioch, and it went all the way to the Jewish Christian leaders in Jerusalem. They had this council. It's called the Council of Jerusalem. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, where they discussed this. And this is when we have this just beautiful moment, one of the very few things that Peter actually does right in Scripture. And he, he stands up, and he says this. He says in verse 11 of chapter 15 of Acts, it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Now, one thing I just want to highlight, Peter here isn't creating the, the wheel, he isn't creating something new. It's not as if this council, these Jewish Christian leaders got together and said, okay, we need to decide what's true and what's not. No, rather they were led by the Holy Spirit to affirm the truth. 
They were affirming the truth that it wasn't by, um, uh, salvation wasn't based on works. Paul says later, so that no one can boast, but based solely on the grace that is given to us through Jesus Christ. So this means that there's no more requirements for salvation, none. And Paul reemphasizes this. So Paul, he actually uh, shares further with the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God's, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, it's been confirmed. It's confirmed, works don't save, grace through faith in the risen Jesus does. So the next step then for the church leaders is, is, is after having confirmed the role of grace in, the, in, in salvation amongst everybody, is to then send a statement out to the Gentile Christians, letting them know that, okay, you do not need to be circumcised. It is, it is by grace you have been saved. And so they sent this letter. In Acts chapter 15, starting with verses uh, 23, going through 29, it says this, to the apostles and elders, or sorry, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers, the Gentile followers of Jesus in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without authorization and disturbed you troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose men and to send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seems good to the Holy Spirit, so they're affirming what the Holy Spirit has told them, and to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. So in that statement, they are saying it's not circumcision. That is not necessary for salvation. It is by grace you are saved. Beyond the following requirements, in verse 29, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. What in the world? What in the world? I mean, it was literally just a few verses either, earlier that Peter stood up in front of everybody and proclaimed with boldness, it is by grace we have been saved. As we pointed out, Paul would later say that it is by grace that we are saved, through faith, not by our works, so that no one can boast. So then why in the world, then after affirming this, are the Jewish leaders, the Jewish Christian leaders, sending this decree, this letter out to the Gentile followers, Gentile uh, uh, Christians, um, and giving them these requirements? Didn't they simply just exchange one work, circumcision, for other works? So the confusion just makes total sense. So we got to dig a little further to get some clarity. So the city of Antioch was the third largest um, uh, city 
uh, within the Roman province of Syria, the third largest city period after Rome and Alexandria. So it was a big deal. A lot, a lot of people here. And this place was the, was the, the birthplace of the Gentile Christian church. This is actually the place where they're referred to, Jesus followers are referred to as Christians for the very first time. So this letter was sent from the leaders of the Jewish Christian church, specifically addressing the conflict that had increased within that community. As I mentioned earlier, in chapter 15, verse 1, it says that certain people came down from Judea and Ante- uh, to Antioch and were teaching the Gentile believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So this letter that is sent out, affirming what it is that they have received from the Holy Spirit, that it is by grace that we are saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. That letter had two purposes. The first purpose was to eradicate the dispute and false teaching that circumcision was necessary for salvation. That was the first purpose. The second purpose, though, was to instruct Gentile Jesus followers on how to conduct themselves to best share the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ to both Gentiles and Jewish non-believers. So there are four things that were specifically mentioned in this letter. One, abstain from eating food sacrificed to idols. Two, abstain from eating blood. Three, abstain from eating the meat of strangled animals. And four, abstain from sexual immorality. Now, in order to understand why these requirements were given by the Jewish Christian leaders to these Gentile uh, Jesus followers, the Gentile church, you have to understand the, uh, the context of the environment that existed within Roman culture. So it's specifically in Antioch, in this huge metropolis. Pagan idol worship was, was just rampant. It was the norm. It was, there wasn't some like fringe cult that was out there and endorsing and advocating and being involved in pagan idol worship. No, that was a cultural cornerstone. Practically everybody would do that. Because of this, there are two things at play here. The first is that a Jesus follower needs to live a distinct life from the world. A Jesus follower needs to live a distinct life from the world. In that a Jesus follower should not be confused for someone who isn't. It would be be heartbreaking to me if I spent time with someone, they got to know me, I got to know them, and, and they weren't a Jesus follower, and I, I am, and, and then to build that relationship and to see time and season go by, and then to have a conversation where they say to me, oh, you're a Christian? I had no idea. A Jesus follower needs to be distinct from the world. It needs to be obvious. Now, because of the overwhelming involvement of pagan idol worship amongst the Gentiles, and specifically Roman culture, the Gentile Jesus follower needed to disassociate themselves from any participations in the practices of pagan idol worship. 
Pagan idol worship, specifically in this Roman culture, involved these things, eating food that was sacrificed to idols. Um, It involved the drinking of blood from those animals. It involved the eating of meat from strangled animals. And it involved sexual immorality. That was a part of the Roman culture. Pagan idol worship that incorporated these things. And so the Jewish Christian leaders are telling the Gentile Jesus followers, do not involve yourself any longer in the worship or ritual of pagan idol worship for there is only one God. That is not for you. So the what is clearly laid out and defined in the, in the letter the Jewish Christian leaders sent would have laid that out entirely. However, the what is not what's important here. Instead, it's the why. And that's what gets lost. Similar to how we would sometimes approach a verse like uh, eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, all those things. Um, I, we isolate certain things that we feel comfortable with or don't feel comfortable with. We do that as well when we come to the question of what versus why. We deal with the what and we forget the why. That passage that I looked at at the very beginning, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But what precedes that? In verses 23 uh, through 33, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church prior to that verse we just saw. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For, quote, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Unquote. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, quote, this has been offered in sacrifice, unquote, then do not eat it, but for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of the conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours, for why is my freedom being judged for another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So Peter, or Paul is asking this question, and then he answers it, In verses 32 to 33, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. The why is critical. The why is is that so they may be saved. You see, if the Gentile Jesus followers, if they disregarded the instructions from the Jewish Christian leaders, it will most definitely produce two tragic things. One, 
is they would, they would not disassociate themselves from the pagan idol worship culture. And thus, their transformed life that they now have because of Jesus Christ would not be obvious to their family, their friends, their society, their communities. Also, though, if they disregarded this instruction, they would also lose respect for possible Jewish non-believers that would then be transformed by the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because all that stuff, eating animals that were sacrificed to idols, the blood, everything, that was seen as unclean, just period, by Jews. And so if a Gentile Jesus follower were to, were to communicate the gift of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have only through him to a Jewish non-believer, but yet not having disassociated themselves from that pagan idol worship, it would fall on deaf ears and closed hearts. The most important part of the letter that the Jewish Christian leaders send to the Gentile Jesus followers is at the very end when they say, you will do well to avoid these things. That phrase, you will do well, when you translate the, the, the original Greek language, that word, those, those words, that phrase means you will prosper. In that the Gentile Jesus followers, if they abide by these instructions, they will have a fruitful ministry to the unsaved, both to the Gentile unsaved and to the Jewish unsaved. An individual is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the resurrected Jesus, period. But the Jesus follower prevails in revealing the gospel of the resurrected Jesus by doing two things, drawing lines and building bridges. Drawing lines and building bridges. Yes, we must be distinct from the world. Yes, we must live our lives in such a way where the light of Jesus is clearly seen. But just as I shared with the kids earlier, it's not enough to just make Jesus clearly seen because we should also live our lives so that Jesus is easily obtained. In other words, a Jesus follower must be like Jesus. You know, several times in uh, Scripture, Jesus is referred to as um, uh, someone who eats with sinners, someone who's with sinners. You know, it's interesting because uh, Jesus didn't hang out with sinners because they were a fun bunch. Now, there was a purpose, again, not the what, but the why. The why. The reason Jesus came and ate and spent time with sinners is because of what he said. What did he say his mission was? It was to seek and save the lost. And there was never a moment, never a moment in those sinners' lives, the individuals that spent time with Jesus where they didn't know two things. 
that Jesus was different, that there is something beautiful, transcendent, and that Jesus loved them deeply. Drawing lines, building bridges. Paul said this perfectly in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19, and then 22 through 23. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might, I might share in its blessings. The other day, I broke bread. I had a meal with about 12 individuals who do not have a relationship with Jesus. And in that time together, two things happened. One, is it was not mistaken at all who my allegiance was to. Jesus Christ, the only one who can save, the hope and the life everlasting, who has changed my life from the inside out and can change yours. But also that I, I wanted to be there with them. I loved hearing their stories I loved seeing the beauty in each of their lives. We need to be distinct, yes, but we also need to build relationships and build bridges so that simultaneously those that are unsaved can see the light of Jesus in us and have access. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today, um, and I thank you for the reminder um, of our mission to be your witness to the world, as it says in Acts 1-8. To be a witness, though, is to live our lives the way you did. to be distinct, but to also be accessible. Because people need the Lord. They need you. As we do at the end of each uh, service through this series, uh, we proclaim this creed together, so I'd ask you to join me in saying this out loud. We are the church. We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus' witness to the world. We will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth, because we are the church. Amen. Amen. Two things. I'm going to be in the back room there if you're new and you haven't had a chance to meet with me. That's where I'll be. I'd love to be able to sit with you for just a brief moment. And then also next Sunday, July 3rd, that's going to be a family service. We're going to have the kids in with us the whole service. I'll be here. I hope you will too. See you then.